Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Stu, you and I are both Bengals fans now. One, because you grew up there, me, because some of the LSU guys that I liked uh, ended up going there and changing the franchise, but they could not beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead back-to-back years. How are you taking this loss? Well, it's one thing to lose by three points to Pat Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. I can take that. But for to lose in the way they did, and this is why, if you remember on this podcast around this time a year ago, I was kind of dipping my toes back in the world of fandom. I wasn't sure if I could quite go all the way in. This year, I've been all the, these playoffs, I've been all the way in. And this is why I don't necessarily think it was a great idea to start um, emotionally investing myself. So we covered Joseph Osai in college. I remember, in fact, covering him against Joe Burrow in the uh, 2019 LSU-Texas game. Good player. Can't say I had an opinion one way or the other. Now, here I am. It's only two years later. And when he pushes him out of bounds for the late hit that ultimately cost him the game, I'm texting my Bengals buddy going, what a moron. I can't believe he did that. I can't, you know, now I've calmed down since then. But I don't think it's a healthy place to be in when you're uh, when you're calling an adult athlete a moron. Um, I'm sorry, Joseph Asai. I understand. I, I've calmed back down. But that is a tough way. If you're going to lose and miss your chance at the Super Bowl, that is that's a tough way to do it. Yeah, I also Joseph Asai plays really well for them. It was just that moment where I think I saw something on my timeline. Rich Gannon, who was obviously was a terrific quarterback for the Raiders and a league MVP, I think even. Um, at one point, he said something. He talked about just, you know, you're sitting and watching it on TV. And at the same time, he said, you know, if you're a player, you're out there running and you're just trying to trying to to get him out of bounds or get, you know, or tackle him. And it's like you're going full speed and you lose track for a second of where you are on the field. And he kind of explained it in a way where it's like, cause obviously he didn't want to cost, you know, to, you know, sometimes that stuff happens and it's unfortunate. That's the way it does. I don't think ultimately that didn't cost them the game. I mean, it, it definitely didn't help, but I mean, usually it's not lost on one play like that. There was definitely some really questionable officiating in that game. Um, sure was down stuff. Um, but I'm also aware that like, the Bengals could have easily like it's almost a miracle that they were in it at the end because Kansas City was often, you know, it wasn't the greatest Joe Burrow day other than that. You know, he did have an amazing. He had so much pass. pressure on him, though, in the first, yeah. you know, he got sacked on three straight uh, times dropping back. I thought, you know, um, high ankle or not, Patrick Mahomes still does Patrick Mahomes stuff. And you see it. But with Patrick Kelsey. Mahomes also inexplicably fumbled, you know, went back to pass and fumbled in the middle of the field. Well, inexplicably, that totally changed the game. Inexplicably, though, is like, this is, you know, I mean, you're playing in, in cold conditions. Yeah. You're playing, you know, it's like inexplicably, the guy's like Superman. Like, so, so you know, okay, so Superman farted when he was flying somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, you know, he's still kind of human. Um, and the other Kept thing Kept the is, Bengals in the game, that play. You know, yeah, I mean, and also... You know, he has Kelsey, but he doesn't have his other, you know, top receivers. I mean, he's just a amazing, um, I don't know, between him, between those two quarterbacks and, and Josh Allen, you can certainly throw Herbert in there. I mean, there's so much good young quarterback talent, especially on that side of the NFL. 
Um, this yep. is going to be a lot of great games. And so I think you'll see the Bengals in many more AFC championship games. So now let's yeah. cut to the chase. So now we have Patrick Mahomes against fellow big 12 quarterback, Jalen Hurts. Who are you going to root for? I think I'm going to root for Jalen Hurts. I, I feel like he was a college player who, like we spent, a, you know, there's certain college players that just generate a lot of headlines or a lot of discussion. And he was certainly one of them because he started as a true freshman for an Alabama team that went to the national title game. So he's their guy for two years. And then obviously maybe one of the most famous halftime benchings, right. In the history of the sport, a lot of gnashing of teeth among Alabama fans. He can't throw downfield. Da, da, da. He loses the job. So as I said on Twitter, to go from being benched at halftime of the national title game to taking your team to the Super Bowl five years later is a pretty, it's a pretty great redemption story. So I think I'll be rooting for him. What about you? Same. I have. Uh, I think I'll have a story at some point on the athletic, um, uh, you know, about about Jalen Hurts later this week. Um, I am definitely a Jalen Hurts uh, fan from my experiences being around him, and I think it's a really awesome story because this is a guy who I think people from you know talking to people who coached him there was doubt about him every what's going to what's he going to do at the next level can you know can it work and there was always and he kept kept improving and kept working and and did things and like you can make a case that he's the mvp of the league you know i mean just it's been awesome what he's done there so um you know i i've, I've always liked patrick mahomes but you know, he's already won a super bowl so um, yeah let's spread it around um we have some coaching stuff we want to get to, but first, this just popped up on Twitter um, while we started recording, and it kind of caught my eye. Sam Heward, five-star, former five-star recruit quarterback who went to Washington and, you know, couldn't win the job, and then, um, you know, Michael Penix is coming back. Not surprising he would transfer. However, he is a former five-star transferring to Cal Poly. That you don't see every day. Why don't we? Why don't you... I know you have a little bit of uh, insight there. Obviously, yeah. So Sam is Brock's nephew. So Sam is Brock's nephew and Luke's nephew and, and uh, Damon's son. He was a ex prolific quarterback in Washington state and his high school coach, Sheldon cross, who's an air raid guy um, has gone back to college to be offensive coordinator at Cal poly. This move is, did not surprise a lot of people because he will go there and I think he will hit the ground running and put up really big numbers in that offense. And then, and I don't know that this is, you know, if this is part of their thought process, but I definitely think it will avail itself to him. He's going to get a lot of college reps and play. And I, I think he will have the opportunity to go back to FBS and the portal, whether he wants to do it a year from now or two years from now, after putting up big numbers and having probably a lot of success and getting a lot more seasoning to go back into the portal. And cause we have seen now a handful of quarterbacks, uh, you know, put up a huge, you know, huge numbers and show that they can run offenses at the college level at the FCS level and then transferred up and had a lot of success at the FBS level. Right. So, I mean, look at Western Kentucky and what those guys have done coming from the FCS level or, or even, you know, below that. And, you know, you can look at even in the arch rival of the Heward family, the Washington State Cougar program, 
I mean, Cam Ward was at Incarnate Word, was really good there and moved up. And I think he's going to have a really good career in Pullman. So we, we've seen this a bunch and I now, and I think we will see more of it. And I think this is, I don't want to say it's like using FCS as a farm system or even group of five programs, but I do think it's a chance for quarterbacks who, you know, if you're him, you were, yeah, you were a five-star, but I think for, you know, you're probably, unless there's an injury, not going to beat out Michael Penix Jr. after what he showed this past year. So go where you know, go in a system you're really comfortable with, a coach who knows what you do well, and get a lot more reps and a lot more, you know, because there's a huge difference between playing in high school compared to playing at the FCS level. And I think that, I think this is a really shrewd move. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, once you've been out of high school for two years and you have no tape, yeah, that's going to limit your options. It's not like um, you're going to have a flood of offers like you did coming out of high school. The the Alabamas and Ohio States and whatnot they're they're looking for guys who have played. Um, so I mean, look look at the example of Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi, nobody had heard of, but you know, no, you know, not nobody, but almost nobody had heard of until he started putting up huge numbers at the Group of Five level. And that was a bigger jump from Houston Baptist to there, I think, than, you know, what he's going to have at Cal Poly in a system he knows. So I would expect to see more of this, for, especially with quarterbacks, where so much is how much you play. Whereas guys, yeah, they may have been a five star in high school, but if they're sitting on the bench somewhere and they're not a, they're not getting to play much. I don't know how many people are going to, unless they really are familiar with that quarterback being like, it's a coach who coached him. You had him in this quarterback room. You know, that's still a big transition from being a guy who's never played or never had much success to being, you know, like what your high school film is, is one thing, but really it's what you're doing at a college level, I think is going to carry a lot more weight. And it probably helps that he's got former NFL quarterbacks and his family advising him. Cause it does require, I mean, it requires some sucking up your pie. You know, you you were Mr. Hotshot Five Star, and now you're going down to play FCS. Like, yes, what you said is true. There have been a lot of FCS quarterbacks who have made that move up. But generally, they were guys who didn't have the opportunity coming out of high school, right? This is the opposite. This is somebody who had every opportunity coming out of high school who's going to – it's almost like a baseball player who goes down to AAA to do a, like a rehab stint, right? Um so kudos to him. I think it's a smart move. I'll be interested to see how he does. And then, yeah, it'll be interesting a year from now, if he does have a big season, what kind of options are out there for him at that point? I don't know, maybe even including going back to Washington, if, uh, you know, obviously panics will be done by then. But well, I think the question also is, do you, do you have to go as a grad transfer at that point in terms of because you've already transferred? Um what that you know what that timetable looks like as well but yeah you would have to be a grad transfer i think uh after three years because they, they're you know supposedly we'll see if they actually follow through with it they're gonna um be more strict about these guys who try to get a waiver to to get around the having already used the transfer exception um last week we talked about michigan and harbaugh um i was a little reluctant to bring it up again but adam Schefter reporting that after he made that statement saying he was staying at Michigan, he still met with the Denver Broncos again, this time in person in Ann Arbor, no less, no, no attempt to 
go to some secret location. So um, Broncos haven't hired a coach yet. Uh, Schefter's report said he told them, thanks, but no thanks. I'm still, you know, still want to stay at Michigan. What do you think? From what I had heard um, late last week, this came down to the, they were, they were seemed to be widely apart on the terms in terms of like the years and money. Uh, I don't know if the, if Jim Harbaugh wanted a couple more years than the Broncos were willing to do. And so I had mentioned this to a source who had kind of, we were talking about something else and this came up and I said, I thought that was dead. And this person said, I don't think it's dead until the Broncos have hired a new coach. And here's where I think this is kind of interesting is I think this has got to be hard for the Michigan players to, to have heard this now that it's come out publicly. You know, when I heard it, I was still pretty skeptical because we've heard this, you know, kind of Jim Harbaugh to NFL dance before. But the fact that there were some terms involved leads me to believe it's like, oh, you know, when you're, when you're throwing out offers to saying, hey, this is what we think and this is what we want, um, who knows? But I think for the players, remember, like there was the one more year fund and everything else that a lot of guys came back. Uh, Blake, most notably Blake Corum, where you think, okay, you're a running back. You've already kind of been, been banged up. You know, it's saying something that you decided to come back to Michigan for one more year. This team is, should be built to be a top five team considering all they have coming back. And the question is the head coach. I wonder how that sits with them with some of those players. I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, you probably have to swallow your patience a little bit on that. I, to me, that was like, oof, this is an interesting dynamic there. Now he did, he filled up the offensive, the quarterback coach hire. We talked about, you know, the issues around Matt Weiss and he was pushed out and now Kirk Campbell gets promoted up. He had been an OC at Old Dominion, um, the quarterback coach, and he'll be the quarterback coach. But, um, I don't know. Like I said, un- until the Broncos hire a new head coach, if I was the uh, if I was the Michigan fans, I'd be like, Ugh, how much longer do we have to wait for this? You mentioned it in passing, but I don't think most people know about it. what's the one more year fund. So the one more year fund was basically a collective that was that Michigan fans have crowdsourced to. You can click on it. Donate now to support the 2023 national title run. One more year fund is the crowds, crowdfunding campaign designed to retain key Michigan football players, starting with Blake Corum, Cornelius Johnson, Trevor Keegan, and Zach Zinter. By donating, fans have the chance to make a meaningful contribution to the Michigan football program in pursuit of that by supporting NIL opportunities. It is interesting that that has gone this way because if you think about it like this, and I, I've thought about this years ago, when coaches do their speeches on the booster circuit and even if they send out their assistants and somebody hears oh we're trying to recruit and this is pre-nil which you know see these are some of the guys you know that we're chasing and if you're some i don't know if it's even fair to say overzealous booster if you're some booster and saying all right i'm going to help them out like this kid lives in my area i'm going to do something for his family or do something for that kid in particular 
and that convinces that kid or helps them to come to sign with that school and the down the road what does the fan get out of it the fan can feel a certain sense of ownership go like hey see number 82 that receiver i had a big role in him being here right and i think fans like that it gives them a more of a connection to the to their school um and they can talk about it with their buddies at their you know uh, tailgates and everything else this is like a direct thing of it you could let's say you put in 50 bucks mm-hmm. and you can feel like you've done that and, I, and i'm not saying this is totally unique to michigan but it's just this is what you know kind of how they've outlined it yeah it's when you think about it and when i heard about this i was like that's a really smart use of an nil collective i think we would agree that you know using nil money to hang on to blake Porham for another year is a lot smarter investment to me than throwing it at a high school kid who hasn't proven anything yet. Um, I think we are seeing, um, we're in this, we're in like a transition. I'm not, I know NIL collectives haven't even been around that long, but we're seeing a transition period right now where they're starting to get legitimized. And just this morning, uh, LSU made a big announcement. We talked like we told, we talked about Jaden Rashada last week. It was last week, right? um feels like every week yeah we talked about how this florida nil collective was just like a total cluster and and it didn't help that the florida you know scott strickland and the athletic department were kind of like just we're not going to deal with that like that's not us and that has been a common attitude to this point like the schools are just like well if they want to do it you know all power to you but we don't that's not us um lsu this morning announced the launch of Bayou Traditions, their NIL collective. And they announced it with a video from their AD, Scott Woodward, encouraging people to support the collective, help us empower our student athletes with world-class opportunities. I've seen a few other ADs do something similar. I think there's an acknowledgement that, like it or not, these are part of the sport now. Um, there's, you know, There's an arms race. We, we want to, you know, make sure we're supporting our athletes as much as some of these other schools collectives are. So instead of totally outsourcing it or totally just letting these guys run rogue, the school is going to put their support behind it. It is a little amu- amusing is not the right word. It's a little bizarre that, you know, these are the same people who are, you know, out there year round trying to fundraise for buildings and whatnot. And now they're telling people. Donate your money to this other thing so you can so we can, you know, either recruit players, keep players, uh, bring in transfers, whatnot. Uh, but I think it's smart. This isn't going away. The NCA is not going to come in and abolish collectives like they threatened to a while ago. They can't do it. So this so I say that because I think that that uh, Michigan example was a great example of a of what seemed like a very well organized and uh, um uh, you, they, they already got their, you know, that to me, that investment already paid off whatever everybody donated to that. If that helped encourage Blake Corum and those other star players to come back, you, that was a good use of your, your NIO money. Now, the only thing I, other thing though, I've heard people complain about and rightfully so is I already pay X amount for tickets. I have to d- give a seat license for the right to buy the season tickets to pay $50 to park. And now they want more of my money to be able to actually recruit the players. That's just a, that's a, that's a bug in the system, right? Where 
they these they have money. Like LSU has plenty of money. The fact that they have to ask the fans to do this is just because of the 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 structure and the inability to um the, the fact that they're still not allowed to actually directly pay the athlete. All right, Stu, I want to pivot to uh, something else, another UM, and that is Miami, my alma mater. Uh, they have had a good se- good year since Mario Cristobal took over on the recruiting front and a bad year on the actual football front. They were really a dud on the field this year. Um, they were a dud on, on the field on both sides of the ball. No shocker that they have had staff turnover on the offensive side of the ball now uh, as expected first um, Frank Ponce has gone back to App State he was the quarterback coach and now he goes back to App State to be the offensive coordinator and Josh Gaddis who is the offensive coordinator at Miami he has been forced out Um, those were things that had kind of been lingering for a while they have come to a head so when you look at Miami um, and I went down there in the, it, it was actually their first padded, padded practice of fall camp. And I, I was there and I was like, man, they do not have, the receiving core was so underwhelming. And you looked at them and like, man, this is not very impressive. They looked okay on defense, not on offense. And they were even worse than probably I thought they were going to be. Now they did have a bunch of injuries. Uh, on the O-line and at running back, but, and their best receiver went out, but it's, it's really shaky. And now you go through this process, Mario Cristobal is kind of notorious for how long his process of hiring plays out, how many people are involved and everything else. Um, Truth is Miami has not had a good offense in a long, long time. You have to go back to 2017. I think the thing that really made it look worse this year was they got worse as the year went on. Um, I would ask you this. Um, you just did your coaching hiring rankings. We're going to get that. We're grades. I'm sorry. Coach, coach hiring grades. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but Mario Cristobal was a hire. You and I both thought both were really, really high on. Tell me what you think of it now. I never, I never judge coaches based off one year. Um, I'm just looking back. I, it is pretty astounding how bad they were. I mean, everybody remembers. You, you talked about the defense being okay. Uh, uh-uh, uh, that Middle Tennessee game was. I didn't say they were okay. I said they were a dud on defense. I didn't. Yeah, not say I they mean were okay. that Middle Tennessee game, which may have been one of the last times I closely watched a Miami game, was just one deep ball going over their secondary's head after another. Say so lose to Middle Tennessee. They lost 45-21 to Duke, 45-3 to Florida State, 40-10 to to Clemson, and 42-16 to to Pitt. It was bad. Um, Yeah, their last last two games, actually, if you do their, if you take out the Georgia Tech game, which they won 35-14, to their last three games, Florida State, they lose 45-3, to Clemson, 40-10, to Pitt, 42-16. to I mean, they give up 40 in four of their last six games and it wasn't like they were facing lsu of 2019 on those teams either yeah it went about as badly as it could now like you said they signed the number seven class in the country you talk about nil support john ruiz and his company um are about as 
I guess, powerful and influential uh, a, a donor and collective can be. So he's got that going for him. What my my question are two questions. First of all, no, one's a question, one's an observation. Um, I feel like Mario Cristobal, like when he was at Oregon, I would defend him a lot because I feel like the Oregon fans were pretty hard on him, given they won a Rose Bowl uh, and a Pac-12 title, and had you know uh, played for another one or won another one in that weird COVID year, and then played for another one um, his last year, but. His last year or second to last year? Anyway, last year it was 2021. 20, but he do, it does seem like he can never figure out the offense. And, you know, I think one of the things Oregon fans never got over, now that you see just how good Justin Herbert is, that they didn't have a better offense with him. And, you know, Joe Moorhead had a lot of success as an OC at Penn State. He goes and works for Cristobal. It doesn't go so well. Josh Gaddis literally won the Broyles Award as the best assistant coach in the country the year before at Michigan and last one season at Miami. So two, yeah, I do have two questions. What's the deal with Mario Cristobal and his coordinators? And then you said, as you pointed out, like their season ended in, in late November. Why is this move happening in late January? This is, this is Mario where, it is, he turns over a ton of rocks. He works on his timetable. I think it can drive some candidates, you know, up a wall on it. Am I in? Am I out? Because I think it would seemingly reduce your there. pool because a lot of guys have already found their landing spot. It does. I think with Mario also, what happens is there are certain things he does not feel like, like he's never going to hire an air raid guy. He's just not. He doesn't believe in in that as the fit of what he wants at Miami. And I think some of those, like, statistically, when you evaluate some hires, you're going to look at yards per play or, you know, you know where they rank in certain things. And like it or not, and, and again, you can, you can make the case, and I'm sure Mario is one of the people who thinks this, like, yeah, you can have a prolific offense, but what does it do to your defense? You know, it's like we're going to talk about USC defense a lot because it's under it's underwhelming, just like, it's like a little bit of a chicken and an egg. It's like things don't happen in a vacuum. You can have a prolific offense running it that way, but it probably will affect how you practice every day because of what goes into it. It doesn't, it's not like two separate, you know, entities, right? You're not going to be the 85 bears on one side of the ball and then have air raid on the other. It just doesn't seem to go hand in hand. So Mario has his philosophy on that. He also, I think there are certain things he's, you know, it's all he ends up getting himself into like a little bit of a box where there's only certain kinds of, you know, people or that he's going to want to consider at the end of the day. And I think sometimes I can imagine it can get frustrating because these things play out for a while. Eventually they get leaked. Somebody leverages, somebody leverages the Miami job or whatever one because there may be a candidate. They probably haven't been offered the job, but because it plays out for a while. And I think that gets, you know, it gets to be a really, really um, strange dynamic how that plays out, you know. And so I think, you know, I think when you look at also you get you, you can kind of get some mismatch parts because if you're an offensive coordinator, you're going to go to this. And, and usually one of the big higher one of the biggest things for offense coordinators, who's my O-line guy? Mario is involved in the offense and Mario's, you know, his guy and Alex Maribel is his, you know, he's known for years. 
um, has shown he's a good offensive line coach, but whoever goes in there, you're going in there knowing what the, what the structure you're working in may be a little different than what you were, what you were used to. And so that is an adjustment. Um, I don't know. It's, it, I'm curious to see what direction he goes in. Cause I know some of the people he considered the last time, I don't think there's a ton of overlap for the guys he considered last time to the guys who are there now. Um, you have Alabama out there, you know, looking for an OC. Uh, I know Ryan Grubb from Washington is a name that has been been considered. I'm curious to see if there's kind of some overlap there because I know there's some really capable um, OC candidates out there. I just don't know if they fit for what Mario wants. Yep. So he's gonna. Um, he's definitely under a lot of scrutiny already. Now, if I'm Miami, it's like. I feel like they fell out of favor with Manny Diaz one year into it. Like it's just an endless cycle of, of coaches on, on the hot seat at Miami. But with Cristobal, the amount of money they, first of all, his contract and it is private. So I'm not exactly sure. Let's just say it's $8 million. Let's, let's work off of that. Annual salary. But what's the, what's the buyout is the question. I don't know. There's no, I don't think it's we're gotta talking be about huge. buyout. Yeah. I don't think we're talking about buyout for Mario Cristobal after one year. Like if it doesn't work out for Mario Cristobal, um, they're nowhere near, like you got to let him have his recruits in there. Right. I mean, I think anybody who's being honest knows they do not, did not have top 10 caliber talent on the offense. The O-line was, was underwhelming. They don't have receivers like they need. Now he's, the one area he's really upgraded dramatically, it seems, is offensive line. He has two five-star offensive linemen. Now, we talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about that's a tough position to project. He has a former starting offensive lineman from Alabama who's already in there. That'll help. He's got one of the best centers who, who was in the portal, has also transferred in. Those, those should make a big difference. But the skill talent needs to be upgraded dramatically, and we'll see what happens there. And you're talking about guys who, who would be coming in. You know, you got to find a new quarterback coach. You got to find a new OC. And I don't know. I don't know how fast that's going to happen. Looking at Mario's track record, this may take a while. And they start, uh, they start spring ball in the first week of March. I just mean I, he's not getting fired. He's going to get his time, and and based on how he's recruiting, they're going to get a lot better. Um, but yeah, I can understand why after such a disastrous first season, after somehow the Broyles Award winner didn't work out after one season, if you're a Miami fan, you would have some concern about, gosh, this guy that we've invested all this money in is he the right guy? But there's a reason they they were so excited to get him in the first place. He's Mister Miami, um, you know. Uh, he recruits him- his ass off, and there's no doubt about that. Read to the mailbag. All right. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Still, I want to start with this one. It is from Grant. Hey, Stu and Bruce. After years and years of hearing Tennessee was a program that could never regain their former place in college football, this season was amazing as a fan. With Hooker, Hyatt, and et cetera gone, what do you think Tennessee needs to do in 2023 to keep the momentum rolling and give you confidence Josh Heupel can keep the balls at the top 10 level for the long haul? Enjoy the pod as always. Thank you, Grant. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any doubts about Josh Heupel as an offensive coach. I think that that will be a, um, you know, maybe that was a particularly special offense with Hooker and Hyatt. Um, but I think with Josh Heupel, you're always going to have a, a 
pretty powerful offense. Uh, if they want to contend and be a SEC, real legit SEC championship contender, they're going to de- need to be better and more consistent on defense. And, you know, it was encouraging to see how they played in the Orange Bowl. Um, they really disrupt, you know, it was really disruptive, uh, uh, you know, uh, pass rush um, against Kate, Kate Klubnick. Clemson, not the greatest offensive team in the last couple of years. So I'll be interested to see. I mean, that's another team, by the way. I feel like NIL collectives keep coming up on this podcast, but Spire, the collective behind Tennessee, is is also one of the better organized, better resourced ones out there. That has certainly helped with their recruiting. Um, you know, you're in a division where you're chasing the best recruiting program in the country and in Georgia. So just going to have to get that elite defensive talent. And I don't know, that doesn't, you can't fake defense um, uh, as you're, story about the the um nfl all pro team you know pointed out right like you can find those diamonds in the rough on offense um defense you need those four and five stars if you're going to play for sec championships national championships so that's to me like the big almost singular issue uh for tennessee going forward yeah i would agree i mean it's crazy you have to go back um I think the best defense they've had, you have to go back to the year Monty Kiffin ran the defense in 2009 when Tennessee had a, I'm sorry, no, like in 2021, they also had a top six defense, but in the SEC, that's, and they have not had a top five defense in the last like almost 15 years. And that's kind of crazy when you think of, um, you know, that's what you have to be in the SEC. I mean, I would say almost everybody else, I'm not sure if Vandy has, but almost everybody else in the league has had at least a top five defense at some point during that stretch. And ultimately, I mean, can they be, look, can, can you be what Oklahoma has been, you know, with like these, you know, with Lincoln Riley, where you have, you know, a top five national offense with like a, at best an average defense is that going to cut it in the SEC, meaning to be a top 10 team? I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I don't know if you can be more than a top 10 team. I don't know if you can take that next step. And I think that will be the challenge for, for Josh Heupel and that staff there. Um, I would, I'm curious just to drill down a little deeper on this. You know, Hendon Hooker was fantastic there, right? Um, and the receivers were really good, and, and that offense was, was, like, was humming. If Joe Milton's the guy... I mean, Joe Milton's got a cannon for an arm. He's a good athlete. He's a huge guy. Do you expect any drop-off offensively? Maybe, because Joe Milton has definitely had an up-and-down career as a quarterback. We know he can. He has a cannon for an arm. He hasn't yet shown he can be consistent and totally accurate. Of course, Nico's there now and will be vying for, for the role as well. But, no, I just think if you look at Heupel and UCF, they didn't they they took a little bit of a step back but it wasn't because they couldn't score I mean they Dylan Gabriel in that offense was was really good so uh, I still I still think it's all about the defense um from Eric in Atlanta do you see any similarities between Kirby Smart and Ryan Day's career trajectory I live in Atlanta so I am surrounded by UGA fans and media who questioned if Kirby could win the big game and get Georgia over the hump now after back-to-back national titles those questions have been answered, but it took Kirby some time to get there. I feel like Ryan Day is now in the boat that Kirby was in. Good coach, wins many games, but can he win the big one? Would love to hear your thoughts. 
you know, when the from the first sentence about the career trajectory, I was like, I don't get this at all. And then when he explained it about when the big one, I could kind of because the bar is incredibly high. Now, I think what's I don't know how different this is, like in the case of Ryan Day, he followed Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer won a national title and brought a ton of talent there. Whereas Kirby followed Mark Richt, where it felt like he did a good job, but it still felt like the program was kind of underachieving, right? So, and in some ways, I feel like Kirby Smart was being measured up against Nick Saban, where that's, yes, that's his mentor, but it's also not the guy he's, you know, coached in the same place with. So I do think there is more of a career trajectory there. I mean, look, if Ryan Day's, you know, kicker hits the field goal, I feel pretty confident they would have won the national title. Could you still have said the same thing that he would have lost, you know, two in a row and handily to Michigan or like, does that exercise the demons that you won a national title in spite of that? Well, there is a comparison there to Kirby, right? I mean, his, he made the national title game in his second season and they lost on the second and 26 play. He had a lot of close calls. The more I think about this, the more I think, there are a lot of similarities. There um, are, there, you know, there are, yeah. you know, in terms of, I mean, literally up even, even as recently as last year's SEC championship game, which Georgia went into undefeated and dominant. And then they had this inexplicable defensive meltdown against Alabama. People wondered, is this, is he ever going to be able to beat Nick Saban, you know, for all these great recruiting classes and all the other games that he's won. And right now, Jim Harbaugh is serving that role to Ryan day. I know he beat him. The first time they played, but he's now one and two against them. Um, here's the difference. I always felt with Georgia that it was inevitable that he was going to win a national title because of the level he was recruiting at. You can't sign that many number one, number two classes in a row and not eventually win the national title. Ohio State recruits really well. He, they have not quite recruited at that level. And it feels like and of course, let's not ignore the elephant in the room. Like it helps when you're in the SEC, um, which wins national championships more often than not. Ohio State last one won the Big Ten's last one in 2014. So Can I ask you yeah, I want to ask you a question off this. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you um two coaches because I think they're the, like now that Kirby has won, um who would be the next coach who has not won a national title who you think will be that guy? And the first two candidates, I would assume, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you three guys. You tell me what percent chance you have, or you think they will, whether they will win a national title or not. One is Ryan day. Another is Lincoln Riley. Another is Brian Kelly. Who do you think wins the national title first? (laughs) And who, Who do you think, like, give me the order of the, the chance that they will, when Gosh, that is tough. Other than to say, I would put Lincoln Riley third because he has not yet proven as great a, as great an offensive coach as he is. He has not yet proven he can have a national championship defense, and his first recruiting class was not as impressive as you would have thought. Um, okay, so the question is, Brian Kelly. We talked last week about what a great opportunity this LSU team has this year coming forward, but Ryan Day. I would think we would say is further along with his program to your point, 50 yard field goal, probably win the national championship. I think I'm going to say 
while while I don't think Ryan Day's national title is inevitable, like I thought Kirby Smarts was, I think it's more likely than not, given the kind of players Ohio State has. So I'll say uh, Ryan Day, 45%. Link, uh, Ryan Day, 45%. Brian Kelly, 35%. Lincoln Riley, 20 What's yours? Uh, I was going to use also Ryan Day, 45%. I would do Ryan Day, 45%. I would do Lincoln Riley 30%, Brian Kelly 25%. Why more confidence in Lincoln Riley than Brian Kelly? Lincoln Riley has I think is going to have more time to 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 I think he will win a national title somewhere. And I imagine it'll be USC. I think um I just, I just think he's younger. I think there will be more buzz. I think he's always going to get big, big-time quarterbacks who are going to want to play for him because they keep winning Heisman trophies. Um, and I think eventually, you know, look, I don't think they're, by the way, I don't think they're done recruiting. I expect them to get some better defensive players, you know, a few months from now and more play. I think they're going to upgrade their talent considerably between now and training camp. So. I, yes. Um, the reason why, I, you know, Brian Kelly, even 25% is still a good number. We've talked about this. Everybody who's coached at LSU in the last 25 years has won a national title. Nick Saban won it. Ed Ogeron won it. Les Miles won it. Shouldn't that help Brian his Kelly, cause? It does. That's why he's at 25%. He's also, by the way, in the same league with, with like, I think it's harder for him to get to be one of those two schools then it's going to be coming out of the Big Ten or coming out of the Pac-12 this year. Well, that's absolutely true, and that's why I, I was, even though I feel like, on the one hand, being in the like SEC. the other two guys, yeah, let me just finish this part maybe. The other two guys are going to draw elite quarterbacks. I don't know that, you know, like if you're LSU, like it worked out that, Ogeron was able to see in Joe Burrow maybe what other people at Ohio State didn't. But, like, I, you know, Jaden Daniels got a lot better. I'm not sold that Jaden Daniels um, is going to be able to lead LSU to a national title when, it, when you know, the margin gets, gets a lot thinner into the postseason, whether it's the postseason in the SEC title game or the postseason in the playoff. You know, you got to win three games there. I don't know that. Like, I think they're going to be really good. I just don't know if they're going to be great, right? And so, whereas I can see, you know, the quarterback play at the other two places being great. The other thing that kind of would change the equation for me, or will change the equation, is I don't yet know, I don't have yet a a great sense of what happens with USC once they join the Big Ten. Theoretically, that should improve their chances because they're going to be in a conference that gets a lot more exposure um, in a part of the country, you know, with access to a part of the country with a lot of great recruits. Um, You know, I think the idea that, oh, you're in the Pac-12, so you can, uh, you know, be the clearly the best team and get it. That'll be easier to get in the playoff. We're talking national championship. And that's just going to come down to you have to have national championship talent. All three of those coaches are capable of recruiting. Sorry, two of those coaches have shown they are capable of recruiting that level of talent. Lincoln Riley hasn't actually shown that yet. Um, even at Oklahoma, they weren't they weren't recruiting tons and tons and tons of five stars. So, uh, wait a minute, though. Wait, wait, wait. So, 
Brian Kelly was not recruiting that t- that level of talent at Notre Dame. I know that's why he took the LSU job. I know he knew but... he'd have a better chance of recruiting that kind of talent at LSU. I don't worry in the slightest about his ability to recruit national championship talent at LSU. Cause like you said, the last however many coaches have done it too. I think the bigger issue for him is exactly what you said. You have to, to win the national championship right now at LSU. You have to, you have to um, usurp both Nick Saban and Kirby smart in a season. Yeah. I don't know. That was a good question, Eric. Let's, let's finish with this one from Mark. Yeah. Mark has a question about Wisconsin and Nebraska with both of these programs reloading the head coach chair. Do you think one program has a chance to be improved enough to compete or even beat Michigan or Ohio state and compete for the top spot in the big 10? My impression is that Wisconsin has an easier path to get to that reality. But as we have seen recently, even the best Wisconsin teams have been embarrassed by the Buckeyes. I think Wisconsin has a better chance than Nebraska. I just, just Nebraska is a lot further to go. Um, I, I don't know. Also not in there is I think, and I think you and I have talked about this. We think Penn state maybe even maybe as talented as anybody in the league right now. So that's three teams you have to get by. I like some of the hires that Luke fickle made. I think they will be a lot more explosive on offense, which is something that has been missing. You know, Nebraska, I don't know if this is like you. I, I really am a, uh, like a, impressed by Matt rule is how can you not be what his track record in college football? Um, I don't know if I have a little bit of like just hesitation. Cause I just saw what happened with Scott Frost and that's not fair, you know, fair to it's a completely different coach, different way of doing things, different personality. But do you think it is harder to, do you feel like the hole is deeper at Nebraska or do you think it is a harder job now than it was when Scott Frost took it over? Yes and yes. Um, you know, it's interesting at the time those hires were both made, I think, within days of each other. And I can remember getting the mailbag question, maybe getting asked on radio interviews. Who do you think made the better hire? And I was like, gosh, that's how do you how do you answer that? I think they were both really good hires as time has gone on. And I think this has to do in particular with some of the moves Luke Fickle has made. I'm definitely starting to feel more enthusiastic and confident and fickle than rule. Not that I'm pessimistic about rule and by any means, I just think like, man, Wisconsin really nailed that hire to uh, his point. You know what? I think the formula that Barry Alvarez instilled and that the others, um, you know, carried on allowed Wisconsin to win, have a lot of great seasons, win 10, 11 games, Basically, by beating the teams that were similarly talented or less talented, they always had a little, but they couldn't quite, because they weren't loading up on four and five stars, they couldn't quite punch above their weight that often. And to his point, um, Ohio State has won nine straight against Wisconsin. The last time Wisconsin beat them was in 2010, which would have been Jim Trestle. Um, But I, and so if you, if they had done what we thought they were going to do, and, and promoted Paul Chris, I mean, sorry, promoted uh, Jim Leonard would not have given me a lot of confidence that they were going to suddenly uh, overtake Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. But Luke Fickle has shown he's going to try it a different way. Uh, he's going to modernize that place. You've got receivers from USC and these places transferring in to play at Wisconsin. I never would have thought I would see that. 
So will it work? We shall see. But at least they're trying something different. And with Nebraska, you know, we'll we'll see. He's rebuilt programs before, but he's never um well, he's never uh correct me if I'm wrong, at Baylor, they got to the Big 12 title game under him. They did not actually beat Oklahoma, who was kind of the Ohio State of that conference at the time. We'll see if he can do it at Nebraska. All right. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com and we will see you next time. Thank you.